<laughs> Gosh, John, I forget how good you are at karate. That's incredible. I know, man. I mean, it's all about the right belt. It is. Timing you know? or your leather belt. Exactly. I, I feel like maybe, is that not, that's what you meant. Not really, okay. but speaking of, oh, Dave, wow, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to try to transition to okay. save you. <laughs> Finally, Dave, Yeah. warm spring days are arriving. Oh, Am I gosh. right? Isn't it great? You know what? I need a new pair of shades that I don't have to baby. Do you know what I'm saying, John? I don't want to take care of them. Let me put them on, take them off, and not have to worry Look, about it. Hey, Dave, I know exactly Sorry. Sorry, what I didn't you mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. Knock around is the solution. They've been making high-quality shades that don't break the bank okay. since 2005. Oh, wow. And they've actually been my personal go-tos for years. Oh, yeah. I love Knockaround, John. They have over 20 different frame styles, so there's something for everyone, including tons of kids' pairs. That's right. So whether you're looking to rep your favorite sports teams, mm-hmm. you know, like you're a sports guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> spend some relaxation time in the yard, yep. or cruise down Broadway with the windows down oh. like Dave does uh-huh. all the time. All the time. Every Tuesday and Thursday mm-hmm. and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Knock around. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah. All of their lenses have UV 400 protection, which is basically like sunscreen for your eyes, which, by the way, I've tried that, and it hurts. <laughs> Use the sunglasses, everybody. With polarized adult pairs starting at 28 bucks. you can get a few pairs to leave in your car, toss in your beach bag, or lend to a friend in need. Dave, that is such a good price I that I might buy a pair just to intentionally lose them. I don't love that logic, John, but I know, you do but have a history of misplacement. It's not around Don't fight me because like of the karate stuff. But it could so. be perfect for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dadville fans, don't squint through family beach days yeah. or trips to the park. Check out knockaround.com and use the promo code DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order. That's DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order at knockaround.com. Johnny, Dave, here we are, back it's with so another. Good to be back. It is. It's been a little while. It's been like. a hot minute, as the kids say. Um, really, I, I'm I'm excited about this episode. Mm-hmm. This was um, this was a fun uh, episode. You know, so many so many of these people that we've had on, we've known a lot of them. You know, yeah. Um, obviously, Ted. You know, Ted, which actually continues that truth because I didn't I don't know, know if I'd say. We're best friends. Yeah, I don't know what he'd say. He says that he does. Okay, yeah, Ted Danson is like. Then we're best friends. I I didn't want it to be the type of thing where I said we're best friends, but he didn't say it. And then I he asked bad. if I know that because when I asked Ted, I said, "Are we best friends?" He said, "No, I've only got five, and John is it's one four of them." Oh, yeah, yes, that's yep. true. Okay, I forgot that he sort of works that way. <laughs> but um, but you know, so this episode we have Aloe Black on, and Aloe's music. Is literally everywhere. In fact, yeah. two days ago, I was watching TV, and he has a song in the background of, a, I think, a Ford commercial right now, maybe. Uh-huh. And I just thought, he is truly in a sort of stratosphere musician where not only does he get radio play, but he has his music is literally just everywhere all the time. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I, yeah, if you guys think you might not know his music, you do. Yeah, you do. Like, yeah. He's one of those guys. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Andy Grammer, who we had on yep. a couple episodes ago. Like. If you don't know that name, you probably you still know his yeah, you music, know the I'm music. sure. And I mean, it, it, we talk about this some, but his hit, which is one of the biggest songs in the last you know decade, yeah. uh, "Wake Me Up" that he did with Avicii, is is literally one of the biggest songs. In I the mean, last... I forget the numbers. We say it in the interview, yeah. but it's something crazy. It's incredible. He they he... had to invent a number just to say <laughs> yes, yes, the number. Um, 
I really enjoyed talking to Alan. First of all, he was so, so cool. And his, do you remember how cool his studio was? Yeah. We did the video interview on, online. I remember when he, when it came up, I just remember the lighting was so cool oh, that God. I uh, instantly was self-conscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's just cool, period. But, um, I, you know, it's funny, thinking back uh, on the interview, I, I remember a, a lot of what I remember being so struck by. I loved hearing him talk about his family, mm -hmm. like the plight of his family coming from South America, or I guess Central America, because yeah. Panama, right? Yeah. Um, that's yeah, it's right. an interesting um, background. You know, I don't know anybody who who has that, and I'm always interested with first generation, and I get confused. What like is he first generation or is oh, yeah, parents yeah, first right, generation? Right, I, right. I never get right, that right, but right. I think that's always fascinating. Someone who grew up where your parents came from another yeah. country yep. to the United States, and I just think that that lends itself to such a unique experience. Yeah. You know? And it gives, yeah, and I think to getting his perspective from that, mm -hmm. it was, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Like I loved hearing, cause you're going to see America very differently than people who've right. been here for generations. Right. Have. Yeah. Um, I also really enjoyed, I thought it was amazing to hear that he had a corporate job that was like really, really fascinating. Uh -huh. That like he was doing the business thing, I guess, right. you know, and why is that so fascinating as musicians, whenever we have, a friend who came from some other world or it, when they leave and they go and get a corporate job. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me. Do you, do you know what it is for me? I think the way that it makes me feel is sort of like Clark Kent to Superman. I'm like somebody was sitting in a business office with this sort of like superpower. Right. Yeah. And, and I've never but, just, about that but way. just like logging in to their email and sending out data spreadsheets, yeah. knowing still deeper under there is this incredible ability to write songs and sing. And then it's just a matter of time for like, no, I'm going to do the thing that is, right. uh, is, is under there. It's like the high school senior who's already got their full ride. <laughs> I thought you were about to say it's like this high school, like the girl in all those movies who's really cute, but she's got the glasses on. And, and the ponytail, so yeah. no one can tell how beautiful I, she I is. I didn't know how beautiful you were because your hair was wrong. Was. You had glasses and on. I couldn't see past the scrunchie. <laughs> Now, if, listen, if there was a name for my autobiography in high school, that would be it. Seeing past the scrunchie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I guarantee you there was somewhere in the youth ministry world in 1996 who had a book called Seeing Past the Scrunchie. A billion dollars on that. Um, but I really enjoyed it. He was, he was such a wonderful, wonderful hang. Um, yeah. I really, really enjoyed his wisdom. It's so fun talking to people obviously about being dads and, and I think mm -hmm. hearing, I thought it was really fun too hearing how the similarity of his dad being traveling so much, you know, mm -hmm. and how, uh, they, how their family sort of worked with dad being in the military and, and so mobile. And now, you know, with Aloe traveling like he does, it's some, it's sort of a known quantity and entity in his life mm -hmm. and how they sort of deal with that as a family. And this year with COVID, how they've, he's been home more. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was fun hearing, um, him kind of, talk through that it was great and i don't know i don't know if it's going to come through on the recording but it's fitting for dadville because as we i'm sitting here in my studio in my house dave's in his studio al is in his studio in california and i think my kids are asleep upstairs in their in their beds and i could see behind dave because we we're all have video feeds i see i hear children right playing and i'm like wow dave's kids aren't uh, 
in uh, bed yet. That's interesting. I'm starting to get all judgy. Like, well, interesting parenting move, Dave. Should you have a podcast called Dad Bill? How? When you're, you're obviously playing so fast and loose How? with your kids. How do you call schedule? yourself a dad? Right. Maybe and a then, lowercase d. <laughs> and then, of course, I see <laughs> my my daughter, Luca, just like Running jump down a slide. And I'm like, oh, I guess uh, I guess my kids aren't in bed yet. <laughs> oh, my god! It was gosh. such a great moment. Yeah. And this is a great interview. You guys are going to love Aloe Black. I'm going to start off with an apology, which is how I that's. That's my go-to thing with any new relationship. Um, but I just want to say there's too much. We got there's so much that we want to say about you that we want to like set up and and we we just can't we take up the whole time. So my apology is all the stuff I'm going to leave out that you have accomplished that we want to say. So I'm just going to throw out a couple sexy sound bites. Okay. Ooh, we should call so this the song part the sexy <laughs> sexy sound bites. Maybe that's the title of the episode. We that's got the it. background singers for the Galactic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they toured together. They <laughs> opened first of five. Anyway, I Need a Dollar. Love that song. That was, so top 10 in 11 countries, ladies and gentlemen. Three platinum awards, five gold awards, more than a million albums sold. Song The Man, top 10 in 15 countries. Six-time platinum, three gold awards, more than seven million units sold worldwide. Nominated for a Brit Award for International Breakthrough Act, Best International Male Soul Artist, Grammy Award for Best R&B Album for your third uh, studio album, Lift Your Spirit. Uh, you released SOS, which is, was a collaboration with the late Swedish producer Avicii that hit number one on the U.S. dance charts, number one in over 10 countries. Also, it was announced that Aloe Black's viral collaboration with Avicii, Wake Me Up, surpassed one b- 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 billion streams on Spotify. One billion streams. And placed number one in 103 countries, 78 platinum awards. Wow. wow. <laughs> Here's what we like to ask after we do our sexy soundbite section. So, like, when you hear that, you know, as John's reading that, what are like, what are you thinking? I'm thinking, where is this list? I have not read all these accomplishments. All I thought that I did well was make like a good steamed chicken with some rice. That was like my, I thought that. Was and my you make a good steamed chicken with rice. Dang! Look at you. That's all I thought. <laughs> what are sort of the emotions you have hearing that crazy list of accomplishments? Wow, I think about the little high school kid who was just making hip-hop music in the bedroom for fun to show his friends and i and i never in a million years dreamed about being an art a recording artist as a career it was really just a hobby something to do for fun i think about um how the the lyrics to wake me up really do characterize the feeling of making that change the transition from kind of a young independent budding artist to this you know having access to the whole world with my songs with my messages and my voice my lyrics it's really pretty you know amazing what i've ha- had the opportunity to experience and where i think i might be going yeah it's incredible i mean reading that one billion spins <laughs> 
And this, I don't, is, has another song been number one in 103 countries? Do you know I guarantee that? you, yes, for sure. There's definitely other songs, but this, again, like, this was never supposed to, it never would have <laughs> been part of any uh, plan or, or strategy for me. Yeah. You know, I, I'm always about like, how do we just make a good song? And then I spent so many years making what I thought were good songs that went nowhere that I was just, I was really content with, you know, just local fame, whatever. Mm -hmm. If I get on college radio, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the idea that you started with where you think of your like high school self is a really great, I don't know if that's a a thing that you kind of daily or periodically check in with, but I think that's a great kind of metric to kind of, you know, keep in your back pocket. Like whenever I, I, get frustrated with anything in my career or whatever. If I think about 16 year old me or, you know, 19 year old me that was just starting to write songs. And if he could see what I'm doing today, like just my schedule for the day, you know, and, uh, I think opening for Billy Joel. (laughs) Yeah. Could you imagine telling your high school self like one day you're going to open for Billy Joel? (laughs) Right. Exactly. But in those moments, I feel like that it's so easily, we, our like artist minds will find the little like fold where there's a little darkness right in there or whatever. I'll speak for myself. I can do it that way. But that, that way of looking at it, I think is like a bulletproof way to kind of check in with the right priorities or at least the the right outlook, you know? So. Yeah. It puts things in a really, really important perspective, which is the self before you existed. I used to say in college to my roommate, Brandon Paradise. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that his real name? This is real. He's a lawyer. Oh, my he's a gosh. legal expert. He has a uh, University of Rutgers in, uh, or Rutgers University in New Jersey. Brandon Paradise. Oh, my Amazing God. name. Amazing. Equally amazing human being. The smartest person I know. And I used to say, we, I don't exist yet. You know, and talking about what are we going to be in the future? What are we going to do? Of course, you know, I was getting my degree in in uh, linguistic psychology and in communication thinking i was going to go on to be some like corporate um executive kind of person and Jeez. i was like i don't i don't know enough about myself or the world yet to even say who i am i don't exist yet and so as a youngster not feeling like i existed i didn't even understand what i meant by that this is even pre social media Right. Where now with social media, we do have a there is this international sense of self because you are you've stamped yourself with a with a a profile. And I should say, you know, one day I will I will have a presence. Everybody will know it. It will be uh, very obvious and clear. And I will be able to clearly say who I am and what I what I stand for. And it, now I exist, you know, mm. it, it feels good. Yeah. It feels good to have that. That's cool that you had that outlook, but it wasn't framed in a, an artist's career. No, not at like all. You had, you had that passion, but it, you don't see it being on a stage with a microphone. It wasn't that, no. I just, I, I knew something significant would, would define who I uh, was going to be. Um, ultimately became my, my artist my artistry, my music career. 
but it could have been a bunch of other things. So, you know, w- one thing I'm so fascinated, um, you know, John and I are musicians, three, two, and we're rolling. We're both musicians. I was about to say magicians, which maybe the same thing here in Nashville. And, you know, in our community, it's always so fun talking to friends about that first or like the the success that really was like, holy crap, this is the moment, you know. The amazing thing about you and such a huge tip of the hat to you is sustained success, right? You know, I mean, that, that to me is something to be so proud of because it's like not only have you had something that went well, but you've had a lot of things go well. And that's, you know, that that's just so empowering. You just feel like, okay, you know, it's it's like this is a sustained thing. I've been able to do it. But I think about, you know, when you think about especially a song that is – I mean, there's no better word to me, ubiquitous. It's everywhere is wake me up. Was there a moment after that? I feel like with a lot of my friends, myself and whatever, who had success, all of us, myself included, had a moment where it was kind of like, okay, this is great. And it's also wildly terrifying. Do you know what I mean? Because you kind of like, what does this mean about what I can do? Can I do that a lot? Or was that like a fluke? Or, you know... Was there any kind of feelings like that with that with that song or any of these songs that have done well? You know, certainly I feel I would love to have every song have that kind of gravity, that that amazing, you know, touch of magic that's, you know, sparks a light in the world and everybody hears it and, and falls in love with it. I think that I have been able to manage my expectations in a way that are really, you know, realistic, really genuine, because I, I, I've been making music for so long and have had um, minor successes and, and major successes when I Need a Dollar became a hit. It wasn't a hit in the U.S. It was a hit everywhere else, right? Australia, Germany, France, England. And then I started to kind of get a sense of, okay, I'm going to have to really temper my expectations of what success can be what it's going to be so even with wake me up when we wrote it and recorded it I had no idea i knew that avici had had hits in the past but was not expecting anything from this and then after performing it debuting it live and seeing such a mixed reaction i still had no idea what would happen with this song after the tremendous success of the song i started to feel like wow I wonder if I could chase this. I wonder if I can do it again by trying to use the elements. And I hadn't really processed this when I was making the song, but I had been talking about the elements of a potential hit and analyzing songs that I had fallen in love with. Think about Crazy by Gnarls Barkley, right? the elements in Crazy, and then think about Rolling in the Deep, Adele, and the elements in that song, and then Wake Me Up. There's this really interesting combination of three worlds. I wouldn't say genres, I just say worlds. One is disco, one is soul, and one is country. And the reason why I say that is because in Crazy by Gnarls Barkley, you have this spaghetti western backing uh, atmosphere, and then you have the four on the floor disco beat, and you have a soulful vocal on top. Same with Adele, 
it's got a very country uh, kind of guitar twanging in the beginning. And then her vocal that comes on top, of course, is the pseudo kind of country twang at first. There's a fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. The image I get, but she's so soulful that what you hear from it is soul. And then, of course, the disco backbeat. And when you think about what Wake Me Up is, once again, it's this country atmosphere, bluegrass, if you want to call it, with a soul, a folk soul vocal on top. And then what is house music or EDM but disco, yeah, right? right. So I had been thinking about those two songs prior, but I wasn't in any way imagining that this would happen for me. I just knew that those elements worked. And then it didn't dawn on me till much later that, oh, wow, I had just, I just did it. And so I'm, I keep thinking, can I engineer this again? Is it possible? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, pro it's probably not possible to engineer it again. It's going to fall flat if I try. But the next person who does it, which happens to have happened already, would be country backbeat. It's, unfortunately, it's not disco, but it is, to justify my, my theory, but it is a popular form of music, hip-hop. So country, hip-hop, and then soul vocal would be the rap on top, Old Town Road. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So if you take the tempo of Old Town Road, it's just halftime disco. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is I, think, I think it still fits. I think my theory still rides. <laughs> um, but, you know, Old Town Road kind of breaks the theory. Yeah. I'm trying to fit it well, in. Well, it yeah, is it definitely you do get a country, a very country feel with a very soulful thing. So that's definitely there. I mean, you always you know. have this kind of cerebral kind of side, even if it's not the the driving engine in the writing room. Is it always kind of a part of it? Oh, it's yeah, it's not it's not always the engine in the writing room. You know, I choose when I want to do be cerebral about how I create. Yeah. But it's so it is fascinating to kind of look backwards at it. And yeah. see what I was, love analysis. I yeah. love oh, man. process yeah. um, and understanding how the constituent parts of something that create, you know, the final uh, product. Right. It is. It, this is a self plug, but I have another podcast called Dave's Five Hot Takes, and that's exactly what it, what it is. Oh, it is. It, and people, I think are we like, just recorded it. We did. That's you, it. This has actually it. been transformed into in that. that. So thank you for that. Um, so let's go back a little bit. So. You uh, grew up in Southern Cal, is that right? Yeah. What part? I grew up in a small suburb um, called Laguna Hills. Okay. I call it a suburb because we're an hour outside of Los Angeles uh, in, in Orange County. And yeah. Very, very, you know, quiet place. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was going to say. So what what is your, like, what's your upbringing? What's your family like? What's the dynamic there? Like, what what, it's a quiet little suburb. Like, what does all that look like? My upbringing was very um, diverse and very colorful. I had my parents are from Panama, Central America. Oh wow! They speak fluent Spanish and English. Okay, um, but they speak English with a Caribbean accent because a lot of the black folks who live in Panama came to work on the canal, came from Jamaica or Grenada. Oh, wow, uh, interesting. I grew up listening to all kinds of music and having all all kinds of experiences that were other than the American experience and other than the Black American experience. Having you know salsa music, merengue, having the cuisine from Central and, and America and, and the Caribbean, so fried uh, plantains, yuca, um, 
arroz con pollo, just different everything, but then also having access to everything that was standard kind of, you know, American culture. And then um, being adjacent to the Black American experience, which is slightly different in terms of music and food, right? And then finding my American self in hip hop. Really? Through hip hop, yeah. And that's uh, ultimately growing up, the culture that I subscribed to was hip hop. Wow. If that makes any sense. I guess it doesn't if you're not from hip hop, but it's um what what like what era hip hop? Like what what was so what what did you grow up listening to? In the eighties I was breakdancing. So at age four and five years old I was breakdancing. And then learning how to to write raps and, and started writing lyrics at age nine. rap. And so by then I'm not understanding that there's a hip hop culture, but I'm definitely part of it because I've already started engaging in two of the pillars. There's four pillars. Break, b-boying, which is breakdancing, MCing, uh, which is rapping, DJing, and then art, graffiti art. And so, uh, you know, by age nine, I already got two pillars. And then when I got into high school, I started writing and recording with a friend, um, DJ Exile, a longtime collaborative partner who lived nearby. And I created music all through high school, all through my college years, up till I graduated all through my corporate years until I went and started doing solo stuff. So growing up, we had our own little crew that was our our intimate little uh, corner of culture in hip hop. And we, we borrowed from whatever was happening in LA, we borrowed from whatever was happening in New York, and we brought it to uh, this tiny little suburb. Yeah, I was going to ask if if you felt any kind of like you know, you you have this kind of foot in all these different worlds, but did it result in you feeling like you didn't really belong in any growing up? But it's not like hip hop was maybe your your way in. I was lucky enough that while growing up, I just had good friends. The kids that I grew up with were, all, I mean, I still hang out and talk to everybody. Oh, that's amazing. We are. When I it's almost like when I went to college, I made one good friend, and that's uh-huh. Brandon Perry, because I had all the friends I needed. You hear his wow. name, and you're like, "No, you're the guy. That's I it. I don't need to know anything more about you. I don't even need right, the middle right. name. I don't want to know the middle name." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, I had all the friends I needed from elementary school, middle school, and high school, and we still are all, you know, the best of friends. So, what brought your parents to America? The shiny, glossy story is the American dream. My parents came looking for opportunity. But when you when you peel back those layers, I didn't get to understand it till much later. But my mom was like, yeah, it was hard to get a job. I'm black. Right. And so it just doesn't work in other countries where there wasn't a civil rights movement. And so she her and my dad were like, well, let's move to the States. We can probably get jobs, better jobs, you know, and have more upward mobility. You might get a job, but you're not going to get promoted. So it was an advantage to come to the U.S. for opportunities, for educational opportunities, for uh, not not educational opportunities, but really just for employment and, and upward mobility and advantage. My dad was a scholar in Panama. He had multiple degrees. He was a teacher. But when he came to the U.S., they wouldn't recognize necessarily his degrees from Panama. During that time, things are different in academia now. And he ended up taking, he wanted to be a pilot in the Air Force. He 
took the tests and scored really well, but the Marine Corps ended up poaching him and he spent 30 years in the Marine Corps. Holy cow. Traveling around the world and we stayed put in Orange County. Oh, that's great. So y'all didn't, y'all didn't do like the military. We weren't the military brats that people talk about, like moving from place to place. And in one really solid place, my mom found a great school, great education. um, And I was able to, you know, do really, really well, like academically, uh, to the point where I got into almost every school that I wanted to get into. I, I got into every school I wanted to get into. I didn't get into Harvard because I didn't take it seriously. My dad did not tell me that my cousin was a student at Harvard. Like I, I have a million cousins. My dad had thirteen brothers and sisters. Oh my god! My cousin was going to Harvard. He happened to be like a year older than me. I hadn't met him yet. I didn't even know he existed. I thought I'd met all the cousins. <laughs> Um, With that many siblings, your parents are hiding. There's got to be some cousins. You just like still. You're like, there's this younger brother. <laughs> there are there are others. There's a someone with my last name here in in LA who's a vocal coach who claims that we're co- distant cousins. Which and I, really? I, I, I I just sent a text to my dad the other day. I was like, is this family? Do you know this side? Who who this is? Where was he in the sibling order? He was near the end, so maybe like tenth. Dang. Okay. Wow. Right. That is so crazy. Growing up, was it like your dad's a scholar? They moved to the United States together for this new life. Like, did you feel pressure for like you said you did great in school and you were academic pressure? Definitely, I felt academic pressure. You my did. Dad, my dad's super. He's brilliant. And yeah. Um, and how did hip hop fit into <laughs> that whole scenario? <laughs> it, was, it was like you know, hip hop was the thing that I that I did as a hobby, um, as long as my grades were great, everything was fine. They, they didn't want it. And so, you know, when in high school, I was one of the few kids that, yeah, I could, I could go out on a school night because my parents had no qualms, no worries about how I was doing academically. And I did so well that I ended up getting into and getting a full ride, right? Academic, full tuition, academic scholarship. But not to Harvard because I failed. <laughs> I failed that uh, that interview. Your cousin beat you to it. Horribly. <laughs> He's like, look, there can only one be one of us here, and I'm already here. <laughs> right, which is interesting now that I think about it because I wrote, I have that song Harvard on the album. Yeah, oh, I know that's amazing. That's a great song. What was the relationship like? Give us just kind of like a, a vibe in the house. In the house, yeah. What was it? What was your relationship like with your dad? What was their relationship like? You know. And do you have siblings? I have an older sister and a younger sister. Oh, okay. 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 My mom managed the house. She managed almost every everything because my dad was home infrequently. He would be gone for six months at a time. Oh my time. gosh! Okay. And did they decide like, hey, we're not, we're not going with you. We're here, you know, like dad, you go and do your tours, but we're I'm staying here with the kids. Yeah. So before my dad. Actually, while he he's all we lived on base for a few years on the military base. He would go, family would stay, um, so that became the habit. Then when we purchased a home, finally, um, our habit was that he would go and we would stay. And my mom was a second income because she would work, so that's just the way it worked out. But I think for, for to our benefit because we had stability, um, consistency, um, we had you know a good environment our friends were consistent we weren't always trying to play catch up you know yeah. at a school or something that's such a rare experience for that life 
I feel like I've never even heard of anybody having the the military upbringing, but staying. I mean, it's rare enough for someone just in a regular civilian job to stay in one community for their whole life. That's really rare. So, yeah, I think in the relationship with my dad, when he came home, it was like he was always fixing or building something. So I was I had to be there to watch as bored out of my mind as I might have been to watch him lay tile in the bathroom. I had to sit in the corner and like watch him lay tile. But were you like holding the light? Was that your job? I was holding the light while my dad was like changing the oil. That was always my job. Exactly. Changing oil. It could be high noon and we could be outside. I'm still holding the light. I don't know why. (laughs) There you go. Almost anything you could imagine my dad can do, right? Because even before the U.S., he was a carpenter, um, a plumber, a volunteer firefighter, a a professor. He needed to to chill out. He just made sure that. (laughs) <laughs> made sure to teach me everything, even though I didn't learn it that well. But I, I saw that anything is possible with your hands. Yeah. If you apply yourself, you can do anything. Yeah. That's what I learned from my dad. And were, were you wanting to, to do that? Like when he would come home and he's laying tile, are you like, dad, no, I, I want to go outside no, and I don't want to lay tile. I want to. I want to either be in my room writing a song, listening to some music, or be outside playing with my friends or something. Yeah, yeah. Th- those are the moments where I-, I like to think of it like there's no pain, no gain, and you have to go through those. You have to d- break through the either the boredom or the discomfort to get to a place where you are actually learning. That's ultimately how how we learn anything. Johnny. Dave. I want to say that school is back in full swing, but I guess we have to sort of put school in air quotes. Yeah, our families have adapted to a lot of change this year, and school, quote-unquote, looks way different. But with some creative problem-solving and some help with our friends at KiwiCo, our homeschooling efforts are better than ever, Dave. Oh my goodness, KiwiCo has been a game-changer. Their crates have tricked my kids into learning without even realizing they're doing it. I love tricking your kids. Mm, thanks. You know, my daughter got one of those tinker crates, and it has a glow pendulum. Oh, yeah, yeah. So from unboxing the crate to building the high-quality project, the whole thing was so exciting. I'm telling you, this glow pendulum was like the coolest thing. I kind of wish that I got a second one so I could build one and keep it in my studio. Well, you put it up in your window that whole night. Well, the neighbors need to know. Mm, yeah. It was beautiful. KiwiCo crates encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. It also seems to reignite childlike wonder in John, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. I wish you guys could see my face right that. now. Yeah, listeners. I miss that. Yeah. Hey, I can't help that KiwiCo crates are so cool. Mm-hmm. The even cooler thing is they have different crates for all ages. There's something for every kid on your list, no matter their age Mm. or how long that list. Mm. There is no commitment and you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line. Visit KiwiCo.com slash dadbill to get 30% off your first month. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash dadbill. Well, there's the learning side of it, but there's also, I have, uh, there's some similar elements with my dad. He traveled a lot. And when he would come home, he, you know, he's working on the car or whatever, like, and I never wanted to, it was the same thing. I don't want to hold this light right now. 
I don't want to go to the hardware store. But I would, you know, I would go. Like, it just wasn't a question. Like, you're coming with me. And I'm so glad that he did that, that he pushed through that and made me do that. Now I can't, I walk into a hardware store and that smell of the hardware store, I love. It's like, that's me and my dad, even though for a lot of those times, I, I would rather have been, you know, playing basketball. That's, that's a bad, bad example. I don't play. I'm that's me and Pizza Hut. Every time I walk into a Pizza Hut, I think of my dad. Um, it's a different upbringing. Um, so, <laughs> so, so he's home for seasons at a time. But are you when he's home? Are you are y'all having time to connect and sort of is he sort of making sure like or is he just so slammed because he's having to catch up with everything that he's slammed? So it's not a it's not an easy life. The stress that he put himself under because of the performance that he wanted to deliver um, was above above way above average, right? Everyone else is kind of just going through the motions. My dad can't do that. Uh, and it's just part of his, his being, his character. So when he comes home, he's super tired. I remember um, when he comes home, I would help him take off his boots. And these military boots have so many eyelets and so many like crisscrosses. It's about 20 of them going down the boot. And you have to do each one individually. You can't just like, oh, just yeah, spread yeah, it yeah, open. Yeah super super tight so getting the boot off each boot that's just a process right so this is the bonding i have with my dad it's uh reverse grooming i guess yeah or the come down of from from all of i guess it's like uh nothing left but you <laughs> yeah he's coming home broken and See? I'm, I'm caring for him right and um there's that on the weekends he would make breakfast and it was like the most uncoordinated, unsophisticated type of eggs and sardines. Like you mix the sardines in the in the scrambled eggs. And I love it. It's just that's that's my dad. Yeah. That's yeah. what we, yeah. his stereo. He had a sign on the stereo that said, if you value your life as much as I value my stereo, keep your hands off. <laughs> of course, I grew up <laughs> and then that stereo by the time i got to high school the sign didn't mean as much anymore right I to break it <laughs> and i would use the stereo to listen to my hip-hop uh, uh radio stations the college stations that i could dial in and record mixtapes and stuff but um that stereo was part of my musical uh education because he had records he had not only the music from his experience in Panama, the salsa, the merengue, cumbia, soca, calypso, reggae. He also had some of the R&B, so Barry White and Michael Jackson and Aretha Franklin and Stevie Wonder records uh, and some pop records here and there. So my bonding and relationship with my dad is all, all built around these, I think, interesting moments of, of you know, sharing time. When he could, when we, when I was really young, he would coach uh, the soccer team and um, be, you know, as present as possible in that way. He, in the 80s, he was like, like I said, my dad's brilliant. So he, he got one of the first computers that was avail available and he would buy these magazines called Egghead magazines. I think it was also the name of the, the chain of stores that would sell computer products. And like he would make us co learn coding in the back of the magazine would have like codes that you would do to create cute little designs on the computer. 
Um, and this is all in like basically the teleprompt uh, screen. Yeah. What do you call it? The portal? Um, I could make up a lot of things, but it'll be like I was at the hardware store and Dave was at Pizza Hut yeah, while so, this was happening. So we yeah. can't help you out with yeah. these terms. But talk about pepperoni pizzas. And- <laughs> it was my dad. It's like a, a little bit of education, some yeah. fun, music, all of these things wrapped up. And that would be, that would be the experience. But w- when he was home, yeah. right? And so your mom just must have run a tight ship. My mom just held it down. And I cannot imagine how she held it down when he was away, you know, getting us to school, getting us our lunch, dinner, breakfast, just everything that is that we had to do to make it through the day. Somehow she made it happen. I'm always so fascinated by this. And I'd love to hear your experience. Like growing up with your dad being gone for these chunks of time, how did you think about that like as a kid what was the way you sort of processed that absence for those seasons i only processed it when i got older to me it was just normal that was just life it's just life that was it i couldn't i, I didn't know any different um yeah it's just life not till i got older till i started this uh started having having kids and thinking about oh wow I'm a musician. That means I have to go away and be away from my family. So when I married Maya and we started traveling together before we had kids, we went around the world, performed together and did all kinds of tours and concerts. When we started having kids, she was like, okay, you're not going to, you're not going to be on the road. <laughs> all this time. Like, you know what? I'm glad we did that. I'm glad we did. That. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. speak to that. I'm so fascinated about because, because basically my wife did, it sounds very similar. We, we had as touring and doing and doing, going and going. I, and I would actually come to her in seasons and be like, I'm tired of doing this. Like, I just, I want to, I don't, I'm tired of shows. I'm just tired of being gone. And she would be like, you're crazy. Like go play. This is what you do. This is what you love. And I remember literally, I remember the night our oldest who's eight now had been born he's up we're both you know he's young he's like this is like a month in and and she had just fed him so the deal that we had with him was like if he was hungry she got up uh, anything else i got up so it's just one of those nights where he just wouldn't settle and i remember laying in the bed it was like 3 a.m and she's like i think it's time for you to be home more and that was i was just waiting for that i was like okay then we'll and we rearranged my schedule and i still played but just not as much but i remember that very vividly like okay this is yeah to your point aloe like okay it's time it's time to be around it's time to kind of like yeah suss that out so did you take i mean did you have you did you take a season once y'all started having kids kind of be like i'm gonna sort of plug in here a little more or well when we when we had our uh first i had already had a tour scheduled for europe so i had to leave for two weeks but the baby was only less than a month old and i thought there's not a whole lot that I can do. Grandma's here, so okay. But when I come home, then I started to think, okay, well, okay, so here's here's the serendipity of it all. First child came at the success of Wake Me Up and the Man. So I had the opportunity to start picking and choosing. Like I didn't have to do everything. And I was able to take a lot of private corporate gigs, which would be like fly for one night, come home the next day. Yeah, great pay. And and good pay, right? So I could avoid being on the road for two weeks at a time where I'm away. 
just to make the same amount of pay I could make in one night. And that really, <laughs> honestly, like the timing, it's just uncanny how yeah. things worked out for me. I do appreciate ultimately like having had that experience with that song at that time, because then it told, it, it informed me on how I could move through the rest of my career. Just have a hit song, do corporate gigs. Yeah, <laughs> the corporate gigs part is a, uh, a result of the hit, the right. hit's not so easy to make. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah right. And then, and right. then too, just, you know, your mailbox money, your publishing money, which is even more like, Oh, I get to chill here and just, you know, cash checks. And this is the, this is the best life ever. And isn't it funny how those corporate gigs change pre and post kids? Cause you know, pre, pre kids. Now there are some great corporate gigs that I've played, but the three of us know what a corporate gig can be. And the answer to that is anything. Yeah. So, and it's not going to be like, like you know, House of Blues, Chicago with all your fans in there. It's going to be whatever. It's going to be a party. They might be paying attention. They might not. Whatever. Pre-kids, it's like, this is, this is not. Come on, guys. It's a life suck. Like, my band and I are killing it up here. All right. Come on. Post-kids? Like, no. This is yeah. whatever. You guys do whatever you yeah. want to do. You stay, go, whatever. Do you want Turn me to the lights playing? on? You can, can unplug, you unplug okay. our can amps. Stop. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Just give me the check. Yeah. No, it, it's that's true. It, it does. I never thought about the pre-kids and post-kids uh, version of it. But there is, for me, there's a, a competition in my in my mind that I'm going to turn this audience. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn them. They're going to be wanting me back next year. That's right. That's right. And unfortunately, what I failed to do by doing all these corporate gigs was I failed to build my regular fan base audience by nurturing them with regular shows. Right. And so but you're like, let me tell you what, I just turned out Ray Bans. Ray Bans. <laughs> <laughs> right? The difference is I have all the time that I spent with my family. That's right. That's right. That's right. right. And that is what it is. That's it the is. difference. It's the best investment you can make. So the timeline, you you do school, you study, you get out, and you did kind of the professional sector for a minute, right? Yeah, I went to work as a business consultant in um, the health sector, uh, working either at hospitals as a consultant or at insurance companies as a consultant. How long did you do that? I did that for a couple years out of university. Wow. Yeah. I was still making music and I was still performing as often as I could in the evenings. Um, I was just, that was my day, my day job. And where are you living at that time? At that time, I was still living in Orange County, but because consultants travel, I was working sometimes in Phoenix. Um, one summer I worked in Chicago. That is so crazy. So, you know what I love about that is some guy was sitting like in his, you know, his lazy chair in, you know, like suburbs in Winnetka outside of Chicago. And he's like, honey, that's, that consultant? that's hallow. <laughs> no, 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 that's, I promise you that's him. No, look it up. And they're like, I told you he used to come sell me stuff. Like he could, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I love about that is it, you know, it's so, I feel like that is such an interesting path and it's so, so many like living in Nashville, everybody just kind of, most people just skip college. They just go great in. So it's like, you know, it's so rare that you see somebody it has like a little couple loop, you know, like a one or two loop and then they do the music thing. So it's hysterical to think about all these people you met as you did that. And they're going, what? I think that's hello that we went to 
O'Charlie's with after that meeting. You know, like <laughs> I'm pretty Always sure. Always O'Charlie. <laughs> I, I remember as a new hire, they had a quarterly meeting, 500 to 1,000 associates and, and executives come together. And then all of the new hires had to introduce themselves. But there was some like hazing process where we had to do a talent. And it was, say, a poem or do an interpretive dance or whatever it is that you wanted to do. And I ended up singing. And I was not a singer yet. I was literally, I was still a hip hop artist, a rapper, but I had written a song uh, that I thought was really powerful. And so I sang the song called Mama Hold My Hand, which I eventually released about 10 years, eight years later. And one of the executives came up to me and said, kid, I think you might be in the wrong business. No way. Yeah, they're like, this is not how it normally goes. Right. This but is yeah. supposed to be embarrassing for you. Yes, yeah, yeah. Suzanne just did a terrible version of Jewel. Did you hear that? That version of Jewel was awful. And then you got up and that was amazing. <laughs> That's so funny. So I'm just curious, what was the decision? Like you had this passion for music since you were a kid. That's a real thing. And it's it seems to be growing along with, you know, your passion for academics and all that kind of stuff. What was the decision? Was there an actual like real time like, OK, I'm going to go this this way because I can always go to music or, or what was that decision like? Um, I got laid off. I got laid off. I mean, they, really? they made the decision for me that they were doing a reduction of force, uh, slimming down the company so they could sell a portion of the the, the consulting practice. And I got laid off. And then I thought, oh, okay, I'll take a few months and then I'll go get another job or I'll apply for a master's program or something. And ultimately, music just kept happening. I had an opportunity to go tour in Europe. And then I had an opportunity to do um, a guest appearance on some hip hop artists from Japan on their on their project because my music was actually working on a very independent and underground level, but it was working and people were approaching me for opportunities. So I took those opportunities and one thing led to another where I ended up getting signed to an indie label who heard me singing on a song that was completely experimental. I had done a tour with one of their artists who was a producer he gave me a beat CD of 16 beats. I recorded 15 rap songs and one vocal song where I sang Sam Cooke's Change is Gonna Come over a hip hop beat. His label signed me to be a vocalist. And I was like, I guess I'm gonna learn how to sing for real now. And so I just started practicing and trying all different styles and different things and built a career off of that one song. Wow. Good thing you put that one in there. No joke. I know, right? You get signed to this label. And where are they out of? They're out of Los Angeles. Okay, so out of LA. And then didn't you start to have like a international success? Yeah, so just off of this particular signing, the label had enough clout internationally that people would buy anything that they released. It was almost as if the label was the artist. And we were, and the artists were just the songs. <laughs> and so people would buy anything their their fan base was that loyal and so i had immediate immediate uh recognition and respect because i was signed to that label i put together an album that was a mixture of everything that was an influence to me from salsa to uh folk to soul to r&b hip hop dance 
all of that was on one album, my first solo album called Shine Through. And I was able to tour the tour the world on that album. I was able to visit Australia off that album, all through Europe, um, Japan. The success from that then led to me wanting to move into more like the commercial music territory, not so indie underground stuff, stuff that could make it to the radio properly. But the record label wasn't interested in anything that was commercial leaning at all. They really prided themselves on being underground niche, you know, indie sounding music. And what I was doing was way too polished. I was working out of, I forget what the name of the studio is. It'll come to me. But this studio where Michael Jackson had recorded Off the Wall, Thriller, and Bad, Westlake Studios. Everything I was doing there was sounding way too professional. So it was like, nah, we're not into it. Why don't you go work with this, you know, throwback soul production team out of New York called Truth and Soul? These are the musicians that had worked with Amy Winehouse on Back to Black. So I went out to New York. I worked with them to create a, basically a, a vintage soul album. And that was where I recorded I Need a Dollar. Oh, which makes so much sense now that you say that. Yeah. Because that has such, that sound is so nailed on that song. It's dialed in. It's what they do. It's what they do uh, well. Are those guys English guys? No, no. They are all New York. Oh, okay. Jewish kids from New York. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. It's time to talk about you being a dad. It's it's dad time. It's we're throwing it into fifth gear. I don't know why dad would be fifth gear. Maybe it's ten gears, so it's like halfway. Um. So so tell us about your kids. You have you have two now. I have two kids. Uh, my okay. oldest is a girl. She's seven, and my youngest is a boy. He's four, uh, and they are wonderful, wonderful kids. Like we thought, we were the best parents in the world. The first when we when with our first kid, we thought like this is so easy. Like we must be you know we're doing so much better than our parents and our our daughter is so calm she's so smart like why why is everyone else struggling she's so nice and i just look at other kids and i'm like our daughter doesn't do that they're not that she's not that way and then we had a boy and then we <laughs> we realized <laughs> that oh. we were not the best parents in the world that is we just so had, funny we just had uh, you know, uh, a girl who was gave us a chance. <laughs> yeah, she was very gracious. She was very gracious. She's like, I see y'all, and I'm gonna be easy on y'all. Yeah, I'm gonna get. I know what's coming because I met him up in the clouds. And, yeah, uh, right. I wanna. I'm gonna get. He's getting chance. his stuff together. He'll be here in a couple years. You guys need to just chill. You need for to a buckle bit. up. You need to buckle <laughs> up. That's Isn't so it great. profound too? Like we we I have a uh, John's got two girls. I've got boy girl boy and. It was really funny how much the, I mean, it's, it, this sounds so ridiculous and I can't believe that we have a podcast called Dadville and I'm admit, admitting this to these listeners, but I really didn't understand the profundity of the difference between little boys and girls because we had our boy first and he, he's not like the rambunctious, get dirty, get messy. Our third is a little more like that. Our, our third, who's the second boy. But you know, he was, he was, it sounds like, actually a lot like your daughter. Like he was really chill and pleasant and sensitive sweet smart academic we have our daughter in three months in four months in i have a friend over and she is hi 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 lo, 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 lo. hi 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 i mean i'm like and so i turned to this friend who's got 
daughters. And I was like, oh, man, isn't it funny? Like three months old. He's like, no, 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 no. That's just girls. And I was like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) you're right. He's like, yeah, like that's they're emotional, wonderful beings. Like that's a little girl. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's kind of crazy. Like she goes like she's never been happy and she's still like this. Like, you know, you hear it for years, but I was like, no, nah, like you, I was like, no, nah, you know, it's, this is all normal kids. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume then it's a second child thing. Oh, maybe. I don't know. My my son is more that way than my daughter. Yeah. And my daughter so. is, <clears throat> honestly, we thought we were the best parents in the world. The only thing that threw us for a loop, what we learned as the witching hour, which is like right around sunset. And like everything that you try to calm this baby down doesn't work. And I couldn't for the life of me figure it out. And, you know, as you were saying before, do I get cerebral with the music process? Well, this is where I'm like trying trying to figure out what is the process? What's going on here? So I'm starting to do a statistical analysis Mm -hmm. like, hey, here's what time it is. Here's where the sun is. Is is the moon waxing gibbous? Is is she getting, is, is it like, because her body is 70% water, does she feel the tide? Uh, the, you know, the ocean is, what's, what is happening that I need to figure out to help my child through this right. process of, and what are we missing? Are we missing feeding time? Are we missing uh, sleep time? Like all these, I was started trying to figure out like an actuarial scientist. Oh, dude. Honey, what, what did you eat today, honey? What'd you have for lunch? <laughs> yeah. That's it. What, you at Mexican of course, she, it's yeah. She feels it. She's the eggs it. and sardine thing. Yeah, yep. all that's that, all that kind of stuff. We, I think, at some point, we did start to divine it, and we figured out how to tame witching hour. We really believe we felt we we figured it out, and we also had this thing. One of our friends gave us this DVD of baby language, what the different cries mean, what an ah means, what an oo means, what an ow means. And it was almost spot on. And we were able to determine, okay, this means she's hungry. This means she's wet. This means she's not just wet, but soiled. (laughs) This means um, discomfort. Not only was she an easy baby, but we also used all these tools to kind of learn. All that was out the window with my (laughs) All of it was out the window. And still is. Still is out the window. Right. So I'm curious everyone that we have on here, I I always want to know as a dad, what do you, what would you say is like, oh, this is kind of my dad's superpower. Like, this is what I'm really good at. Like, it could be the worst day, but I bring this to the table every time and I nail it. What What is that? I think I have learned the art of distraction. My wife told me, she was reading a book about, you know, the, the two brains, right? The kids, the left brain and the right brain. And when there's a tantrum or some sort of discomfort uh, or uh, distraction, you know, whatever it is, something crazy is going on. How do you distract the kid to get them to calm down? And I have two things. One is like, it's some sort of physical play, especially with my son. We went to go see this theater performance of it's of uh, acrobats so whenever he is upset and wants something really bad i distract him by saying do you want to go play acrobats 
And then we go to the bedroom and we do a lot of acrobatic things, you know, in the bedroom. And he loves it. And so I can distract him that way. The other thing is word salad. I don't know if this is going to make any sense to you, but you've got to do a word salad. When they are upset and crying and out of their minds, you start talking. And you just say as many things as you can in a short amount of time as possible. And you don't stop. And you keep saying everything that you can because today you went to go on a, on a bike ride. And when you're on the bike ride, your, your, your tire hit a rock. And the rock skipped up, hit you in the face. And you couldn't see. You couldn't see because your eyes were just blurry but from all the dust that was in your face. And then you looked over and the tree was, was swinging. And the, the tree that was swinging, then it, it almost fell into your path. You had to do a, a bunny hop over the tree branch. And then you made a quick left. And when you made that quick left, you saw your best friend. And your best friend was there to give you a hug. And you were so happy to talk to your friend. And your friend told you all about his day. And his day was not going well either. And what was happening in his day, right? Word salad. This is working on okay. me. I'm literally like, Right? Word salad. They're trying to figure out what is going on. They want to hear the story. The story is getting interesting. (laughs) They know that you're invested in it because you sound like you're invested in it. And they stop crying and they start calming down to hear the story. Now, what I try at bedtime. I'm literally writing that down right now. That's when they're in the car acting up. At bedtime, if they're acting up, I do the same thing. I, I start with. When I was a little kid, because they want to hear that story. But if they're crying at a level that's loud, um, I have to go. So when I was a little kid, I used to have a skate bike. This is a true story. Skate bike. It had skate wheels in the front. And in the back, it had a tire wheel. And I would ride that bike to school every day. And on the way to school, my friends would laugh at me and make fun of me and say, oh, he's on a unicycle. I'd say, it's not a unicycle. It's a skate bike. It's a bike with skate wheels in the front and a tire, a bike tire in the back. And when I got to school, I didn't want to um, tie it up on the bike rack with all the other bikes because the bike rack with all the other bikes, people would make fun of it. So my teacher let me bring it into the classroom. When I brought it into the classroom, in the classroom, I could hide it. By that time, they're trying to hear every word, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're crying and they're whimpering like... <laughs> 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 you have blown you're blowing my mind here. My yes. mind. have you done also, a ted talk yet with this stuff because well, can i also say this i is think go this viral. is what my wife does to me as you're doing it i'm like wait a <laughs> that's what she's doing i'm like baby guys they what uh-uh speak louder speak louder what oh my god next thing hey. you know it's the next morning johnny dave you know that Andy says I'm losing him being home so much now, don't you? Oh, yeah. She sends letters. And for, <laughs> carrier pigeon. And for her to say that, it must be pretty bad yeah. because she does know what she married. She do- I think that's part of the you know, reason why she's lashing out. I mean, <laughs> I mean I've mean, i seen some of your Instagram characters lately, and they're kind of getting out there. Okay. You know? I, didn't, I forgot how judgy you can be. Yeah. I guess I do need to set up some time with a professional from BetterHelp, though. Look, I think we all do. I mean, 2020 hasn't been the easiest year. So I'm glad BetterHelp provides a safe and private online environment for us and our families to talk about stresses in our lives and how to deal with it. Yeah, I agree. For those who aren't hip to BetterHelp, BetterHelp is an online mental health service where you can connect conveniently and affordably with a professional mental health counselor that can help you with a wide range of specialized areas like depression, stress, anxiety, family conflicts, and they even provide relationship counseling. 
BetterHelp is the perfect option for counseling in a COVID world. You can access professional counseling from a living room. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, and you can send messages to your counselor at any time. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a Dadville listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash Dadville. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dadville. With your parents, like as you've had kids, I always love asking our guests this, like as you guys have had kids and you think about your parents, what are the things that you've realized have, have been things that you do, you know, that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the thing that my, I, this is right out of, my, out of my parents' playbook. My dad would play the music that he loved listening to and he would do the silliest dances and it was such joy for me. And it was, I think it was joy for him seeing me laugh and seeing us laugh at him be a fool because he was such a serious person. Very cerebral, very military, very strict. But in those moments where he would let loose, oh my goodness. And so that's what I do with my kids. I'm, I let loose. And I let loose way more than my dad did. Uh, but that's where I, I feel like, oh my gosh, I am my dad. There are those moments as well where I'm like, I remember the terror of hearing my dad call my name because I got in some trouble when I was a kid. I did, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a, an easy kid. And so I was always doing something and I knew I was going to get in, that I was going to get in trouble for. And hearing my name being called was like, dun, dun, dun. And to this day, if my dad is visiting my house and he calls my name, it's instant, instant, you know, guttural, like visceral, yeah. like I'm seven years old again. Oh yeah. And I'm again, I'm going to get in trouble. But there. just the way he says my name. You know? Okay, now do you have any of that with your kids, right? Because I'm connecting with what you're saying. I don't have that with my kids. These are new kids, man. They don't. They just don't respond to punishment in the same way. Like I have to be judo master with uh, with life to to figure out how to even punish them. I'm on like I'm thinking punishment is supposed to work. Like it's supposed to be you know, uh, a reinforcement to get them to do something in a certain way. Like you're not going to get dessert or I'm taking away your toy or all of that stuff is supposed to work. But what I'm finding works the best ultimately. And I, I try that. And I, I tried to be that, that, uh, disciplinarian dad, but ultimately I gave up and I realized what works the best is meeting my kids at their level throughout the day enough times so that when it is time for me to lay down the law they know i'm i'm one of them they know i'm i'm on their team yeah I'm on their side, yeah right i'm not coming top down i'm already here eye to eye with them and that's super difficult to do consistently yeah i'm trying i'm trying you know it's, yeah that takes a lot of energy you just nailed it. it's hard to navigate like disciplinarian trying to enforce the rules um but yet not leaving I, I think about this a lot with my kids exactly what you said Ella, Ella, like that idea of i don't want the day to end and you feel like there's there's separation 
I'm okay if you're upset with me and we'll work through that. But I don't want you to go to bed being like, okay, yeah, we're like, we don't belong together anymore. That's exactly right. And it's tricky because, you know, you can have some really hard days with your kids and trying to navigate that space of like, how do I step toward them? Not in a way to say, Hey, what I said earlier, doesn't matter. I was kidding. You can do whatever you want. Cause that's not the truth, but also saying like, Hey, I, I love you. I'm here for you. It's, it's okay that you mess up. I'll always be here for you. But you know, we got, we got, we got to learn some things. You know, there's, there's rules. There's th- you know, that's a tough spot, man. You know, oh, you know what? I don't think I got credit for when I was a kid was that I was a kid. Parents coming from Panama, ha- coming from a very Latin country where kids are to be to be seen, not heard. Um, a very patriarchal society, male dominated, macho. The dad is is in control and the master of the house. I am, you know, trying to live a different reality with my kids and be. I don't want to say just they're a friend and not a parent it's important to still be a parent yeah uh, but definitely not an adversary mm. you know dude that's such a good word that's a great word. i wondered that too that was something i also wanted to ask you is just like what are the things in that culture that you know because every culture has their quirks especially in the parental sort of world you know what i mean like there's some interesting little thing that comes with every culture i think and i was curious about sort of that sort of south american central american like, and that's amazing to hear you say that, just that really strong dad, like the dad is the dude. He's the dude. The buck stops here. That's one of the, the, the things. Um, I'd say the mothers are equally, like, I, I don't think I grew up with nurturing father, disciplinary mother, or disciplinary father, nurturing mother. They were both nurturing and disciplinary, but I would say leaning way more on the disciplinary side than the nurturing side. Wow. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm trying to work against. My my upbringing and what I know and trying to be more nurturing than disciplinary. Right. Yeah. Another thing, one other thing I want to talk about before we release you to the hounds uh, of children again is, uh, you know, that that's one of the things that I love about you and your story. John and I have done nonprofit work too. And, but you, it's, it's astounding. Like your benevolence, it's truly inspiring. And I mean this, and I think I, I like this pivot talking about that before you sort of end, because I think you think about your parents and, and, you know, you talk about them so beautifully about how, how who they were and what they mean to you and meant to you and, and sort of what they represented and, and their sort of own personalities. And I think about your nonprofit work, your benevolence and what a great, thing that is for your life for the people it benefits but man so much too for your children that they would see dad doesn't just sing and make music he believes in things that he wants to write music about he wants to use his gift to empower to help to shine a light on others you know and so i think it's a it's a fun pivot to to talk about that for a second you know, looking at your it was really inspiring I mean that was one of the things John and I talked about when we were kind of talking about stuff we want to talk to you about between Black Lives Matter, hosting the town halls, which was so cool seeing those videos, uh, cancel rent fest, you know, doing the Democratic National Convention pre-show. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Like you've you've really been a part of a lot of things and and keep a really healthy sort of thing going with that. Is that another thing you saw in your parents? Is that something that you felt from just your own experience or 
Where does that fire sort of come from? It's about service. Yeah. So knowing that my dad was a teacher and a professor, it's a service to people, right? Um, seeing the kind of help that my parents would give to friends and family members. Growing up, I can count at least five family members or close family friends that slept on our couch for months at a time. And as a kid, it wasn't strange. It was just normal. Now with my own house, I know what it means to have somebody sleeping on your couch. So the service, the giving. Um, my mom was working for the courthouse. She's a, a government employee. Again, service. This is working for the community, uh, the, the city, the county. Uh, my dad in the in the military service, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then for me, recognizing that I have the opportunity to be a corporate executive making multiple millions of dollars. If I am, I should be in some sort of uh, social entrepreneurship, some sort of you know social corporate world where I can do something that's going to give back to people. That's why I, I, even though I wasn't fulfilled necessarily by being a consultant, I was happy that I was in the health sector because at least it was related to hospitals, which were served people. You know, when I signed a major label recording contract, I promised that I would use my platform for positive social transformation. And if and through my lyrics, through my advocacy, through the income and, and philanthropy, then I, that's what I would do. So I was lucky enough to marry a woman who does the same and had been doing Maya's from Australia, but in Australia, she was doing um, programs for youth, Aboriginal youth, um, also incarcerated youth in Australia. She would do workshops for music and poetry and other things with them. When she came to the United States and we got married, we involved ourselves in, in community activities, learning about the um, programs that were available in central Los Angeles and South LA, uh, helping to transform the community. I remember one of my first big paychecks was a, an endorsement for a liquor brand. My dad loves Tanqueray. Mm -hmm. So he's a gin drinker. I don't drink at all, but I was like, oh, Tanqueray wants to pay me this big check to do a commercial? My dad's going to love it. I'm going <laughs> to get him some free Tanqueray. It's going to be amazing. Well, they put my posters up in the inner city in South LA, South Central, in the neighborhoods where this organization that we had just started to get to know was trying to close down liquor stores because for those who don't know, there are, you know, per capita, the liquor stores in the hood is totally different from the suburbs. Like I couldn't tell you one liquor store near my house. But when I go to this organization, Community Coalition of South LA, there's a liquor store on every corner, literally. So there's this divestment from the community and what ends up taking place for companies that leave are these liquor stores. And so one of the representatives of the organization was like, we just spent the past few years closing down like 200 liquor stores. And here you go with your big face on this ad promoting liquor in their neighborhood. And the reason why they put yours here instead of the other like blonde hair, blue eyed, person who had done the same campaign 
it's be you match the demographic and and then i was like okay all right i have to be really conscious of everything i do and why i'm doing it the intention to affect people uh, as much as i love my dad it's more important that i'm not going against what this organization is doing for the entire community this organization started by um representative karen bass she was on you know she was on one of the, the top lists top of the list for uh vp right i think she was probably second in line if if kamala harris wasn't there this is real organization doing real work in a community that needs this kind of work and i then decided okay i've got to turn this around and be part of this organization and everything they're doing and then continue to build how we can transform how the community operates and and how it's how people in the, within the community see themselves and how corporations prey on this community so that was part of my education and then from there just getting involved in all kinds of activity and to this day working with the movement for black lives on police reform and pushing for the kind of things where we're all trying to get rid of the bad cops. If we can get rid of the bad cops, we can get rid of a lot of the problems. And so right now, you know, working hard at that, they're actually going to be voting on this tomorrow, um, decertification, which is, you'd, you'd assume, like, you know, lawyers have a decertification process, doctors have a decertification process, pilots have it, but cops don't. Mm. And that's what's unfortunate, you know? Mm. And so we're working on that. I have these moments of lucidity where I will, and I think this is so remarkable about what you're saying about your decisions is the intentionality. And I also think, man, wouldn't it be a crazy, because our, our, our jobs are a service. We're a service industry. We make music for people, right? And it, and it's like, man, wouldn't it be amazing if we really treated it like that, you know? And, and then this is to myself too, you know, where it's like to really view it as this is something I'm giving to people to try to make their days better, to make their lives better, you know, make these three minutes that I have their attention better or whatever, you know, because what you can do is so profound if, if you do that. And I think it's so, I'm really, it's so inspiring hearing you talk about that um, and how much, and I think you said this so eloquently, how much intention it takes because, and, and I can't imagine that struggle. You get this great sponsorship thing. It's so exciting and then you got to go, oh my gosh, this is potentially getting in the way of another, you know, that, that takes a lot of, that's some grown up things you got to figure out, you know. There's a bigger picture. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I had to just think about, you know, when money comes in, what's it about? I remember I did a, an ad, a commercial for M&M's with uh, Zed, who wrote a, uh, a remake of the song Candyman. And for the first five conversations I had with the representatives trying to talk to me about this opportunity was the relationship that I have to an organization called Not For Sale. Not For Sale was start, started by Dave Badstone. They f basically free modern day slaves. So this would be the child trafficking or just, you know, plantation slaves, literally in Africa where, you know, Mars and, Cadbury, all the big companies are sourcing their chocolate. There are little kids on these plantations who are basically enslaved. 
And so my conversation with them was like, what is your commitment to eradicating slavery within chocolate trade? So they walked me through the steps of what they're planning and how they're, how they're planning. And it, ultimately, I felt comfortable with their intention. So I was able to, to, to do the work. But, you know, there's others where like Walmart wanted to pay me insane money to use the man in a commercial. And I was like, well, I'm not really down with your weapons sales verifications. Like, you don't oh, wow. sell weapons to. So I think I'm going to sit this one out, you know? Dang. That's amazing, man. That's really inspiring. I think it, my takeaway from that is everyone's responsibility to be aware of the weight you have in the world. Mm. You know? It's a great word. And because uh, there is a way that you could have looked at all these scenarios. And no one could have faulted you for taking these great opportunities that on the face, it, that's just, that's a great opportunity. How great, you know, uh, and get your music out there and all that kind of stuff. But your awareness of, yeah, but that thing's going to affect some other things. And it, you know, it takes a maturity and humility and just energy to just be aware of all that stuff and to, walk through the world the way you do. It's inspiring. The, yeah, it is. It is. And, and so we get a couple, we do our last couple questions. Buckle up before we end this thing. So Alo, you just get ready, prep yourself, do some stretches, some mental stretching. <laughs> we always like to ask these couple of questions. Um, what is the thing that will make you feel like a successful dad? When my kids are 18 and they have the ability to be independent, that they are completely confident and sure and I am confident and sure that they can be independent whether or not they leave the house that I know that if they did they would be able to take care of themselves with no issue is there a moment that comes to your mind that if if you could go back to this moment not to redo it or change anything about it but is there a moment that comes to your mind that you would go back to just to relive it exactly how it was with your kids? Mm -hmm. The moment that I always think about is when they were small enough to fall asleep on my chest, listening to my heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, and so I think about that a lot and, you know, it's tough because they're all, they're tall. My seven-year-old is lanky and she's not cuddly <laughs> anymore. Yeah, I just think about that a lot. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I would even be cognizant enough in those moments. Like, I'd be so, I'd be like, feel the skin. You're feeling their skin. Little, their little fat calves and their feet. And I'd do it. I'd be like, be here, be in this, their breath coming in and out. I'd be like, you're doing it, Dave. You're here. You're here. It's happening. And then it's gone. And then two years later, a freaking picture pops up in your phone. You're like, <laughs> yeah. I miss that totally. moment. And you were completely there. You were like as totally. zen and dialed in and present. And I mean, I would do it. I'd be like, you're going to forget this. Be like their warm skin, their little breath on your neck. And you're like, it's happening. And then three years later, you're like, oh my God, that was that moment. And it's three years ago. You had a, you had a, a line in, in uh, the new record about like leaning in to your kids when they're sleeping, just hearing them breathe. Yeah, I do that every night. I, I when they were babies, I did it because I was afraid they were gonna die. You know, like are they still alive? 
but I do it all the time. I just, there's just something. So, you know, I just want to hear them living now, you know? I mean, when they fall asleep, just kissing them on the cheek, right? Yeah. Just leaving it my lips there, just like smelling their skin and then, you know, that, all of that. Yeah. This morning, my, my girl came down. She's six now. And I just thought, I would literally do anything for you. I didn't choose to feel this way. I didn't know I would ever feel this way. I mean, I, I feel that way about my wife, but this is such a different. And I just sort of stood there in that feeling for a minute. And I was like, isn't it crazy? I've got these three little things that I am. I don't have to ever think about trying to love. I have to think about trying not to kill them. But I don't have to think about trying, you know, I always love them. I will yeah. always love them. They will frustrate me, but you don't have to tell me how to do that. Yeah, right. It's just hardwired. I want to kiss them when they sleep. I want to hold them. I want to hold them. When they... It's all in there. And thank goodness it's like that. You know, you just hardwire. Your kids pop out and you're like, all right, let's, let's do it. <laughs> I got you, you know. <laughs> yeah. I've created these mantras that my kids can can sing. I've made lullabies and... Mm. I released a lullaby um, called Dandelion Down, and it's really just put it on for them to be able to sleep to it. Um, but it was on my phone, and when I would go away for a night or two or whatever, a week or whatever, uh, my wife was like, where's that song? So I uploaded it to Spotify. And oh, so nice. play it on repeat for them. And then there's these other things that I came up with with them. Whenever they get upset with each other and they fight, I told them, the person who wins the fight is the one who says, I'm sorry, and I love you first. And so my daughter started, she's using it. She, she's really owning that. My son, he's growing into that. And there's this other thing that I do. I got to record this one. But it's a little song. And when I hear them humming it, I know that it's sinking in. But it, it goes Gentle, loving, kissing, hugging, that's the way we all should be. Gentle, loving, kissing, hugging makes a happy family. Kind hands, kind heart, kind words, kind thoughts. Gentle, loving, kissing, hugging, that's the way we all should be. And you hear that little melody that when they're doing their Legos or when they're drawing, mm. you know, they're humming the melody, but those words inside. Yeah, yeah that is beautiful. That's so good. Okay, so last question. And let me say this too. You, you have a record that's coming out in October. October 2nd? Is that October right? October 2nd. Yeah. I'll um, love everything. I'll love everything, which I love that phrase. I read a little, I think that's so beautiful. I love that. So depending on when people listen to this, either get excited or go get it or, you know, it's it's really, really good. And I think- Really good. Before I ask this last question, I just want to hype that, let people hear about it. And I think one of the things that is really great about your music and, and just talking to you now is the intention. And I think that that's, you know, John and I talk about the things we leave these conversations with, and that's going to be something that, that I leave. And I'm really thankful for that in you. It's really fun and inspiring to sit and listen to the intention you have. And, and the record has got that. I mean, it's so cool to see that you have themes. It's not just, you know, kind of a one vibe and it, it's, you know, to your point, there's, there's real intention there. So um, last question. And this is, this is the big one. Uh, what do you want your kids to say at your funeral? Oh, wow. I want them to say that they loved me 
they know that I love them and that they'll miss me and that they will always remember our best times. I think that's all, all I really want is for them to remember the best times. Sometimes I swear to my kids, I'm like, do you remember when it might have been one of those disciplinary moments? And if they don't remember, I'm like, <laughs> all right. Good. All right. <laughs> yes. And I was like, keep going on this, you know, gentle loving. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so, so much good, for your man. time. Thank you so much. So much fun talking to you. We're so such big fans. Yeah. Thank you for all that you do. I appreciate you guys. All you wonderful, beautiful, kind people. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you have a second, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and write a review. Unless it's bad. Because that stuff really does matter. And please follow us on socials. You can find us everywhere at Dadville Podcast. Also, you can follow us each at Dave Barnes Music and at John McLaughlin to find out more about our music. Thanks for listening. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested.